announce just real quickly. First of all, our worship team. Right? Every week, you know, every week they're here early. Sometimes they stay late. They lead us into the presence of God. And we really appreciate the effort that they make. And, but, they're, you know, they're not alone of people that sacrifice and so that we can worship in the sanctuary together. There's somebody watching your children in the nursery right now. And we appreciate them, right? And there's somebody, more than one, that's walking around this building, inside this building, and inside this sanctuary, who came to church guarded. They're guarded in their mind because they feel a sense or a burden to help protect you in the crazy world in which we live in today, right? And we deeply appreciate them. That's our security team or a safe team, and we appreciate them so very much. Who would have thought that from the time that I was pastoring up in the Hill Country in Shirley till now that we would have to have, you know, security? But that's where we're at. It's a dangerous time, but we trust the Lord to keep us safe. Amen? And then certainly I appreciate all of our pastors that uh, Aaron and Chelsea are with with your children, and then all of our pastors and their preparation and their heart. Uh, to just, you know, to, to prepare a worship service. It takes time, it takes planning, it takes effort. Also, one last thing I want to make sure I make note of this. Um, my daughter Alyssa and, uh, and I think Aaron uh, helped, my son Aaron, and then Aaron and Chelsea, they came down last night and early this morning to put together, what is it, what's it called, Alyssa? A photo, not booth, a photo wall. A photo wall for you and your family. So those balloons aren't there for you to throw darts at and win a prize. And matter of fact, there's a lot of balloons left over in the room if you want to take a, 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 that's what we're giving out as gifts for first-time visitors. (laughs) If you have a lot of children, we have a lot of balloons for you. So, but nonetheless, I appreciate the the effort that they make so that you, we go back and look at um, pictures every now and then and see our family, how it's grown, right? Right from Easter or Christmas or something of that nature. So I just appreciate the effort that they've made. I want to honor Dr. Brassfield and Sister Kathy for being in service with us today. It's always an honor to have them in service. They're traveling all over the known world, sharing the gospel, and also uh, building leaders, and it's just great to have them in service. And then, as Jason's already said, the visitors. Since Easter Sunday, always churches swell. The numbers swell. Many of you, I saw your family came to service. I'm honored that they've chosen to come, number one, to see you, and number two, to hear me. And uh, so I appreciate so much that they have chosen to come and worship God with us today. So uh, we're not going to stand for the reading of our text because the text would be too long to do that. But we are going to stand and honor just the text that we're going to read in a moment. So would you all do that with me so we can pray and ask the Lord. And I won't take up any more of your time with preliminaries. And we're going to go right to the word of God here in just a moment. We're going to be in a text that I'm going to share with you in just a moment that I really felt the Lord, and I'll give you a little bit of information about this here in just a moment, of why I felt the Lord lead me into this passage of Scripture today. But how many of you know that it's very important that you prepare your heart to receive the Word of God? You know, my mind can swirl a thousand miles an hour, and I can be doing one thing, and my mind is just like this, running and running and tracing and trailing. And if if I don't just purposely... Say, God, help me. Help me to have an ear. Isn't that what Jesus said? Have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And also, the Bible speaks of break up that fallow ground. So that means break up your hardened heart. Break it up. Prepare the seedbed. The Bible says the Word of God is seed. And we sow it. And we sow it. If it's going to be fruitful in your life, then you're going to have to have prepared ground. And then it can be... Uh, It can be productive in your life and bring glory to God. So let's do that through prayer very quickly, and then let's just let the Spirit of God uh, anoint the next few minutes of time. Father, I'm so grateful to be in this house, so privileged to be here, thankful to be amongst men and women, God, that are of like precious faith, people that I see very regularly, week in after week out, God, also to those that I don't see quite as often, Father, but at the same time, I'm so grateful for every person that's come out today. Lord, I just pray that you would give us that eye to see and that ear to hear and that heart to understand. And that, Father, I pray, we, be, we began to pray this this week earlier, and we pray it now. Let preaching be easy in this house today. Father, I pray, God, that the gift of God, the gift of communication, the prophetic gift would be manifested. But, Father, I'm just praying for you to do great things in the heart and minds of people. That the, Father, on the day of all days, the day of the celebration of your son's resurrection, God, that we can see the mighty hand of God made known to us, Lord. So I thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. And you can be seated. 
I'm going to take you just into the pastor's world for just a moment of time. You think that this is the day of all days. This is the day when preaching is surely the easiest of all. And in my personal preparation, I've, there was something that I was in pursuit of. I was in pursuit of something, of a particular type of message related to the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. I was in pursuit of perhaps trying to see it through the lens of perhaps that first century audience, maybe some of Jesus' disciples, or perhaps even from, as Pastor Andre did uh, a couple of weeks ago, through the lens of Mary Magdalene, who was last at the cross and first at the tomb. And I, I, I spent time trying to identify and to search and to, and to see, but, you know, I found myself, my heart just not quite there. And then I got to thinking, well, I don't want to be very careful of being over-doctrinal, you know, on Easter Sunday. But then I found reproof in my heart for even making that type of statement to myself or even that notion. And that, the reason being is, is I want to, I feel like we owe this generation an apology, the church as a whole. Because this, the way we treat you today is, we, number one, you go into the workforce, you go to college, you go to, uh, it doesn't even start in college. We've got children that know more about computers that are seven years old than I do at 52. Hello? And then we send you off to trade school or we send you out where you learn how to fix you know, million-dollar equipment. We send military men and women. I remember that T.I. told me years ago, he said, we're going to put a wrench in your hand, speaking to one of the airmen, and send you out onto the flight pad to, to be able to uh, repair a $35 million aircraft. You know, so we put all this expectation on you, and then we bring you to church, and we act like you can't learn anything about God. And like, if we're going to explain anything to you, we got to be like we're in children's church here. You know, 6,000 years ago, there was a flood, and there was a big boat, and water was coming, you know, and, or we're going to lose you if we don't make it so elementary. You know, I, I, so I'm going to apologize for the church for doing that to you, because I believe there's more to you than that. I believe that you can have an eye to see and an ear to hear, and that we, if I put doctrine in front of you that is critical to your faith and crucial to your faith, that you're going to readily grab hold of it. You're going to readily grab hold of it, and you're going to, I said it the other night, you're going to buy the truth and sell it not, right? And so I'm going to take you. So as I contemplated that, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night, and so, Jace, I'm leaping ahead in our study, so we're going to be able to omit that particular chapter because I'm going to bring it to you today. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 is the most doctrinal uh, record in the Word of God concerning the resurrection, it's 58 verses. That's why I didn't have you stand. If you read it according to just normal reading pace, it will take you 7 minutes and 25 seconds to read it. There are over uh, 1,200 words in this particular chapter. It's the longest of the epistles, or the longest chapter, as far as I know, in all of the Pauline epistles. So why would Paul give so... I mean, certainly he didn't apply chapters and verses, but he, he put right in the midst of, of, of this particular narrative the greatest depth that he would write concerning the resurrection because it's critical to your faith, because you've got to have a hope. Life is painful, and typically there's no more place of sorrow, no greater place of sorrow than the graveyard. There's no place of greater, there's no place where your heart will wrench more deeply than when you are standing in the church in front of a casket. And it's one of your loved ones that perhaps life took or death took too quickly for you. And I tell you what, if you don't know the promises of God, then you can, you, you can, you can fall into despair and you can fall into depression and life can have no value of living. But when you learn the truth, right? Jesus himself said, if you'll know the scriptures, he said, he said, then I, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, even, and I'm going to show you through this narrative today that you can have said goodbye to loved ones. And it's painful. And I'll tell you what, there's not a remedy on this side of eternity for some measure of that pain. I understand that when there's a separation and a loss. But I'm telling you, you can have a hope, right, that the world cannot take from you. And that death was not capable of taking out of your heart. Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to just go into it. We're going to walk it down. I've entitled my message, Paul's Commentary on the Resurrection. You might say, well, that sounds super exciting. <laughs> I thought about but then adding that too, but you know, the Methodist church was born when John Wesley was standing in the, uh, a particular street when he heard a man reading 
from a commentary on Luther's writings about the book of Romans. And something miraculous happened in his heart. Something miraculous can happen in your heart here today. So I want everyone, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bear witness with you a little bit. I'm going to work with you today. We're going to put the text on the screen. We're going to follow it. I'm going to follow it primarily here on the Bible in front of me. If you brought your Bible, and I encourage you to bring a Bible, leather on the outside, right? Sheepskin on the inside, goatskin, whatever they make this, uh, the, the parchment out of. But at the same time, if, it's, if you're electronic, typically if I see you looking down on that, I'll be thinking you're texting somebody here at, while I'm preaching. However, today I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna trust that you got the Bible app, right? And you're working, you're walking this down with me because I want you. We're gonna read this and we're gonna just let this unfold in our heart. And I'm gonna add commentary. It's really Paul's commentary, but I'm gonna add a little bit of commentary. I started to entitle the message the pastor's commentary, so I'll weave that in as well. So Paul writes here, and I do read from the King James Version of the Bible. I know that's a little bit of a stumbling block for you, but any of the words that are more difficult, I try to, to add clarification. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. How many of you know the gospel is very important? The word gospel simply means the good news. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you when I was present with you. I shared with you the good news. The, 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 the actual word in the, in, in the original language for the gospel means the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. I tell you what, there are glad tidings. We live in glad tidings. We live in a season when heaven is open to all who desire you can come, right? You can drink of the water freely. You can eat of the bread freely because it's made available through Christ. So that's the gospel. Paul said, that's what I preached unto you. But notice this. He said, you have received it. You received it. And he said, and now you're standing in it. And then he goes further. By which also you are saved. It's the only way to be saved is to respond to the gospel. Right? The only way for you. What do you mean by being saved, Pastor Brown? When we, read, when we use the word saved, it means saved from two things. Saved from judgment and from eternal damnation which are kind of woven together a little bit. But that's just the reality is that we are saved from that eternal damnation when we put our faith and our trust in what? In the gospel, right? If you keep in memory, how many know there's a part that we have to play? We have to be reminded of this. That's why when we broke the bread the other night on Wednesday night, we did this in remembrance of Jesus. We reminded ourselves of his sacrifice, didn't we? I, I, I say it often as your pastor and, and I think about it to myself often. I say this in the theater of your mind. All of us have the ability to contemplate, to ponder, to create picture images in our mind. And to think about Jesus Christ suspended on a tree between two thieves. When we prayed on Wednesday night, we noted there were seven fountains of blood opened in his flesh. A crown of thorns had pierced his brow. I think it's important for you to have a, a fresh vision of that in your heart and mind occasionally. Right? To see his suffering. To see his sacrifice, to see him pillow his head in death, right? And to give up the ghost. You see those things in your heart and mind, and it puts you in memory. And Paul said, this is what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Unless you believed, but then you have walked away from those truths. Verse number three. He said, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. So very quickly, let me elaborate on that. When Paul says that which I received, it is the belief that Paul is referencing the revelation that God's given him. The revelation simply means that it's the disclosing of things that had been hidden. Almost like a treasure chest with things contained therein. And then when it's opened, it is now revealed. The apostle Paul, God allowed him to see. God allowed, he was blinded on the Damascus road. But God began to open his eyes spiritually from that moment forward. He gained spiritual insight and revelation. And he said, this is what I received. And he said, here's what I received. He said, how that this is what I preached to you. He said, it was how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Pause. When we see this reference here, Paul is alluding to the scriptures. Make note in your mind, because I'm wanting to disciple you. My good friend, Dr. Brassfield, told me 17 years ago that it is possible to disciple your 
church from the pulpit. And I make it my aim every time that I take this pulpit to do my best to give you something that's going to strengthen you in your faith. When you think about the revelation of Jesus' death, burial, and subsequent resurrection according to the scriptures, you think about the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the narrative of the gospels, the things that you and I, I could have turned to those passages and we could have stood there, a bird's eye view, a firsthand account from either John or Matthew or even those from afar, Mark and Luke. But here Paul is not referencing those men. He's referencing the prophecies of old contained in what he knew as a Jew to be the scriptures. That would have been the Torah, the law of Moses. That would have been the Psalms, and that would have been the writing of the prophets. He would have been trained in the scriptures from a young man. He would have had depth and understanding related. And he knew that there were over 300 prophecies in all the word of God concerning the Messiah. He knew there were types and shadows. I'm not going to preach to you any of those, but I will just throw out a couple here today just so that you'll know. Isaiah 53, Isaiah saw a suffering servant whose visage was marred uh, beyond recognition. Uh, the psalmist had written in Psalm 22 uh, as he wrote about how that, he, how that Jesus cried out, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? Captured by the pen of the psalmist. Uh, we see in the book of Hosea that Hosea for say foresaw his resurrection when he said there were two days and then he said on the third day he said he said I'll be raised up again prophetic words like this and perhaps none greater concerning the resurrection than Psalm 16 and 10 that the sweet psalmist of Israel David gained insight from God and he writes I don't know where he was writing this I don't know Shane whether it was under the light of the moon out in the field when he was keeping his father's sheep or I don't know if he was the king now in his palace when the spirit of God moved upon him and as he's singing a song of adoration and praise to God out of his own mouth captured by a pen are these words thou shalt not leave my soul in hell so the writer Paul here is saying when I preach to you the cross and I preach to you to the resurrection he said I did it from the basis that God for 4,000 years of human history took a picture of the death burial and resurrection of Christ and that's the truth of the gospel he said that's what I preached unto you and then in verses 5 through 11, which I'll go through very, very quickly, he simply then alludes to eyewitnesses' accounts. He's talking about Cephas also, who was Simon Peter, then of the twelve. And then he was seen about 500 brethren at one time, perhaps on the Mount of Olives at the time of his ascension, of whom he said now, the greater part, when Paul is writing this around 52 A.D., 30 years or 20 years earlier, he said many of those that were there that literally saw him physically with their own natural eye, many of them are, some of them have fallen asleep, but a lot of them, he said a lot of these brothers are still alive. They got their own testimony. And then he goes on as he's reading, as we read this further. He said he was seen of James. That's the half-brother of Jesus. Then of all the apostles. You know, Thomas was not there uh, in the first appearance. He said, and then lastly, Joe referenced it earlier. And lastly, as that of a man born out of time, Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of Pharisees, who was, who was passionate against this sect of the Nazarenes who left the city of Jerusalem with letters from the chief priests to go to Damascus because he had heard there was a large population of people that believed in the resurrection of Christ. And he was blasphemous against it. He stood against it. And he got authority and he took men that were soldiers with him to make the journey. And somewhere along the way, Jesus, who several years earlier had ascended into the presence of God and had been veiled in the presence of God for these many years, decided it was time to come down and visit somebody. And then in the midst of the, the Bible says that in the midst of the journey, that a bright light shone so brightly that it was like the sun in the noonday strength. And Paul fell, or Saul fell off of his horse. That's where we get, get off, knock you off your horse. We get that. Saul fell to the ground. And he heard a voice of one speaking to him. When he heard that voice, he heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He asked, he said, who art thou? He said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And Saul's life was radically transformed. And he writes it here. He said, like a man born out of time. I didn't walk with him. I didn't touch him. I didn't feel him. But I was there. He appeared unto me. I knew he had been dead. I knew he had died. I had the account. I had read about it. I was a Pharisee. I was aware about the insurrection. I was aware that they put him on the tree. I was aware I didn't believe in his resurrection. But on that day, seeing was believing. 
right? And the apostle said, now, he said, like a man born out of time. And he said, and I'm not even, verse 9, I'm not even worthy to be counted with these apostles because I persecuted the church of God. He said, but I am, I can say this in verse 10. Can you say this with me today? I am what I am by the grace of God. I thank God, Paul is saying, when I look back on my life, there were so many ups and downs, so many blemishes. I had blasphemed against God, but God saved me, redeemed me, and now who I am today is because of His divine grace worked inside of me. And Paul said, I'm going to labor, as he said, until my dying breath, I'm going to labor. So then he goes on here, verses 12 through 19, though. We then see Paul begins to reveal why he's addressing this to the Corinthian people. It's because it seems as if that there are those among them who maybe they took of the broken body, they took of the cup, they're coming out to what they call the love feast or the agape feast, they're coming to church, they're serving as deacons, they're working there in the church, but they don't believe in the resurrection. Paul begins to address this in verse, is that hard for you to believe today? There could be skeptics among us. There could be those that say, mm, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just, you know, maybe it was a dream, a vision. I, I don't know. I'll tell you what. Let the Spirit of God speak to you today. Maybe you'll see what we see. Right? Let's go further. Verse number 12. So then Paul said, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's saying, in one sense, he's saying, okay, so you're saying that maybe Christ was raised from the dead, but then there's no general resurrection. But then Paul then says this, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then he said, so here's the effect, then, then is Christ not risen? So if you don't believe in a resurrection, then why are you here today? In one sense, in one sense, that's what the, some of you are thinking, that's because my kinfolk drug me here today. Right, I know, but I'm after you today. And so in this passage here, he said, so Paul's wanting us to see this, see the effect of this particular doctrine that could, this would be a leaven that could come in and it could actually destroy the church. Because without the resurrection of Christ, we have no gospel. If the gospel for you ends on a tree, then you have half the gospel. I thank God for the blood of Jesus. I thank God for the broken body. I thank God for the head that was pillowed in death. But uh, brothers and sisters, today I want you to know what gets me happy today is to know that he came up out of the grave, right, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, and he's got the keys to death and of hell in his hands, right? That's the hope of the gospel. And so he goes further, and he said, look what he said. I want you to see this, and you've got to connect this with me. If Christ is not risen... And so if that's your thought, if that's your theology, he said, then my preaching is vain. It's empty. They're just empty words. It's storytelling. You might as well have went down to the gym theater and watched a matinee rather than to come to church. If Christ is not risen, then the preacher's wasting your time. Are y'all out there today? That's what he's saying. He said, our preaching is vain. It's empty. It has no value. But here's where the tragedy would be. Your faith would also be vain. And then Paul said, we're found false witnesses of God. Paul is saying, we have stood before men and before women on multiple continents. We have stood before both Gentile and Jew, and we have stood as an ambassador for God. And now if Christ is not risen, we've, been a, we've said God raised him from the dead when God didn't raise him from the dead. And we've made our, we've, we have lied on behalf of God, is what Paul said. He said, we have been false witnesses and so he then said further, he said, for if the dead rise not, verse 16, then he said, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ, and here would be the greatest of all tragedies, verse 17. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is vain. And all those sermons that Pastor Brown preached about justification, Jace, would have no merit. All those sermons that we preach about being righteous before God, being the right standing and being right relationship with God have no merit whatsoever. Because if Christ is not raised, remember we sung songs about washed in the blood, right? And all your transgressions, dark and sinful, they're washed pure, white as snow. That song would be nothing more than a fairy tale, right? Your faith would be vain, and what would you be? You would still yet be in your sins. You would still be under the bondage of sin. You would be destined for a devil's hell. And look what he said further. And this is the greater of the tragedies. And then, then, if Christ is not raised, then also they which are fallen asleep in Christ 
or perished, then every one of your loved ones that you've wept and you've sorrowed and you've said goodbye and you've said, I'll see your grandma on the other side, I'll see your spouse on the other side, or even for those that have the most difficult of, uh, of moments and tragedies in this life to have said to your own child, I'll see you one day, then there is no hope for you and there's no hope for them. They are perished if Christ is not risen from the dead. That's what Paul is saying to us today. And then Paul culminates thinking of his own life. And he said, and if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If all this is to us is a time to come gather and to have a, somehow a, a mini family reunion and gather with friends, he, Paul said, we are of all men most miserable. Is that right? But look what verse number 20 says. This is why you got to know doctrine. My gosh, I'm about to run in here today. I got on my bigger britches today. I can run a little faster. My kids are letting me know that nobody wears pants like I wear today. Because they make skinnier leg britches nowadays. And none of them have made it to my closet just yet. But the, Alyssa says they are coming. <laughs> oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 20, but now, but now, so keep it in its context. If Christ is not risen, you're in your sins, and your faith is vain, and grandma's gone, and your mother's gone, and even those that had the pain and the sorrow of a child that you, that, that you had to bury, he said, but he said, but now, he said, but let me tell you the truth. That's what some believe. But Paul said, but I'm going to tell you today, I've seen him with my own eyes. I was there on the Damascus road. I beheld his glory bright as the sun shone in his noonday stream. And I want you to know today that Christ is risen from the dead. Glory to God. That's how I read the text. You may read it just as dry doctrine. I read it that says, man, I've got everything for you. God said, I've got it stored up beyond this life. There's more to this life. There's death on this side of eternity. But there's coming a day. We're going to read about it in a few moments. There's coming a day. So Paul said that with this, he said, Christ is the first fruits. That's where it begins to shift. So now what's exciting about this, it's not just Christ is risen. You've got to catch that. If you miss that, that's why we sing this song. There ain't no grave. It didn't say ain't no grave going to hold him down. He's already gone. Right? Right? The grave tried and couldn't. It's unsuccessful. He defeated death. But now he's become what? The first fruits of them that what? That have slept or that have perished or that have died. And then Paul, for the next few verses, begins to talk about the order of the resurrections. I want you to hear this today. I'm getting excited to know that I'm helping educate this generation in the truth of the word of God. Right? Do I see Sister Cossie coming in right back there? Hello, Sister Cossie. Isn't it good to see her church family right there? Hadn't been able to be in church in a long, long time. God bless you, and thank you for coming here today. Let's read this a little bit farther. He said, so now, now Paul says, so let me help you understand this, Paul is saying, just like I do. Paul's got this same passion. For by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam, all died. And in Christ, all are going to be made alive. Let me tell you, even the heathen folk are going to be resurrected. Right? Let me just go ahead and tell you that. Even the heathen folk, we live in a generation where people are mocking death. They're mocking judgment. I saw a video clip one time of, a, of, of, a, of this brother that he, after he passed away, he put a, a voice box in his casket so he could make a mockery of death for why his family was gathered around laughing. Well, I'm going to tell you what. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment Right, there's going to be a resurrection in everybody. So he said, he said, I'm going to give you the order real quickly. He said, here's the order. First of all, he said, it was Christ. He's the first fruits. Right? Christ is alive. And then he went further. He said, afterward, they that are Christ, that is coming. How many know that's us? Right? We're either going to be alive at his coming or we're going to be dead at his coming. But we're going to be resurrected. We're going to be changed. We'll talk about that in just a few moments here. So that's the order. And then he said, the end. The end's the general resurrection when all man. I'm telling you, the sea's going to give up every dead person that they've buried, right? Every person that's been burned to ash and scattered in the wind. How many of you know the God that called all the dust, the, the God that created Adam from the dust of the ground, that same God's going to call that dust back together, and that individual's going to stand before God. 
And they're either going to be welcomed into God's eternal kingdom or they're going to be rejected and sent to a devil's hell. And that's the truth of the gospel. Are y'all out there? And so he said, this is the order of the resurrections. And, and he said, for he's going to reign. Christ is going to reign. I'm not going to do this very deeply right now. I'm going to get down to some other things. The last enemy, we're going to talk about this, that shall be destroyed is death. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And then verses 27 through 29, let's just read it for the sake, but I'm not going to elaborate and give commentary on it. He hath put all things under his feet. When he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. Verse 29 is a controversial verse. There's a lot of theological differences uh, concerning the right application of this text, and I'm not going to delve into that today. So we're going to go right into the 30th verse. Paul then simply said, if there's no resurrection, if Christ is not raised and there's not a general resurrection, he said, then why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Every hour, he said, why do every day that I get up, he said, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, I die daily. And in this moment, he's not talking about dying to the flesh daily. In this reference, he's actually saying, my life is vulnerable of being taken in death every day that I get up. Every day, a persecutor, every day, a murderer, every day, somebody could take my life, Paul said, for preaching the gospel. And then he said, if after the manner of men, he said, I went into the arena, and if I fought with the beast at Ephesus, he said, what advantageth me if the dead rise not? He said, then Paul just said, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If that's the mindset, Paul is saying, if that's the mindset that, that, we, that, we, that we have, he said, that you have, he said, don't be deceived in this. He said, evil communications corrupt good manners. What does that mean? And folks that you hang around with can corrupt your lifestyle. People will sow things into your life. So obviously somebody is sowing this thought in the mind of those believers. And some of them are, 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 are just simply living their lives without recognition that they're accountable to God. And verse number 34, Paul says this, and he warns them, Awake to righteousness and sin not. He said, Some do not have the, same, have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But you and I have this knowledge, don't we? We have this knowledge that we're going to give account before God. And I thank God today, I know that I believe in my heart of hearts, with all part, every part, of the, every fiber of my being today, I believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also believe in the resurrection of those who believe in him. And I also believe in the general resurrection that every man's going to have to stand before God one day and give account of his life and his faith before God, right? You know, we talk about that adage where it says in the book of Philippians, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why wait till eternity to confess him as your Lord, right? Confess him as your Lord right now, and you'll have the peace and the grace, and you'll, have the, you'll be able to pillow your head at night. You know, it's the old song we used to teach our children. It's kind of a little bit morbid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. No wonder your children struggle going to bed at night just a little bit. <laughs> right? But you'll have peace. Right? Maybe we need to sing it and, sh and say it, and maybe we don't need to share that with our children just yet. Verse number 35. Let's go on. This is where it really opens up, these last few verses. Let's follow it just real quickly. I'm, we're briefly, I'm going brief. And some will say, how, are the, how, how is this going to work, preacher? Tell me about this. That's what, I love this. I love to see people empowered by knowledge, Dr. Brassfield. I just love it when people that are just kind of, I don't know how this is going to work. How is this going to But when the light clicks on. And they're like, oh, my gosh, is that really going to be the way it's going to be? Yeah, that's the way it's going to be. What a comfort it will put in your heart. What a hope it will give you. Let's read this down. Let's just let this preach for ourselves. How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Paul said, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. He's saying it looks different. Thank God it looks different, right? This body is tainted by sin and sickness, correct? But there's going to be a change in the one that is to come. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain. It may have chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Are y'all out there? Are y'all with me on this? Follow it quickly, with me quickly. All flesh is not the same kind of flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. 
There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another of the stars, and one star differs from one another in glory. Then Paul transitions, so also is the resurrection of the dead. This is what it's going to be like. This is the revelation that Paul received from the Lord Jesus Christ that he is so passionately sharing with the Corinthian church that I am just as equally passionate about sharing with you. Here is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. Decay. Breaks down. Tissue. Flesh. From dust thou were and dust thou shalt return. It was sown in corruption, he said, but it is raised in incorruption. Never to die again. Never to be wounded, to bruise, to be scarred. Never to hurt, never to ache. Right? Are y'all out there today? Change. We're going to get to what's it, what's it shaped like here in just a moment. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It's sown in natural body. But it's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so then Paul gives us clarification. I'm going to take you from verses 45 through 50. And then I'm going to add clarification to that. And then we're going to make a, a close here in just a second. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, the last Adam, which is Jesus, was made a quickening or a life-giving spirit. But then Paul says, I'm going to explain this to you in a moment. However, that which is not which is spiritual first, but that which is natural afterward, then that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also which are the earth. He said, we've got the image of the earth. That's what he said in verse number 49. But if you've got the image of the earth, but if you put your faith in Christ, you're also going to bear the image of the heavenly. Read verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Paul's right there. And that leaves us with just eight verses of Scripture left to finish this text of Scripture. So here he says, I want, you, I want to recreate this for you if I can, because I just think this will help you today to see this. It was sown in dishonor. It is raised in honor, right? It was sown in corruption. It is raised incorruptible. How many know God is incorruptible? God is eternal, right? God never ages. He never wastes away. He never fades. All of us, as we age, if you're in the prime of your youth, there will come a day, all of us that have already reached the prime and are now on the downside can say aging does happen. Hello, somebody. I know if you're young enough, you're like, no, you don't see that because it continues to improve. Every time you look in the mirror, you're like, I'm getting better. It's getting better. Right? Hello. But there will come a moment when the effects of living on this sin-cursed planet, hello, right? right? By one man, sin entered the world, and what? Death by sin. And we've all sinned, right? And therefore, we are all slowly dying, right? Every one of us, from the return of Christ, we know not that time, if we're not alive, at the that we will have gone by way of the grave, right? Are you out there? And I know the younger you are, you're the more, number one, you don't see that, you don't think about it that much, but when you hear someone else talking about it, especially a loved one, you're a little bit traumatized by it. But when you have faith in God and the older you get, you're not traumatized by it, right? Because, oh, grave, where is thy victory, right? Death, where is thy sting? We're going to read that in a moment. So, but here Paul is saying, I want you to understand what that's going to be like. I want you to know, and Paul, with the revelation that God has given, he said there's going to be a change. He said that there's going to be something that takes place either when, at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're alive, your body's going to be changed. If you're dead, you're going to be resurrected. Let me tell you what life is going to be like in that moment of time. You're going to, be, you're going to have a body that's fashioned in the book of Philippians after his glorious body. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? I'm not talking about the body of Jesus that died on the tree. I'm talking about the body of Jesus that came out of the tomb. Because from the three days in which they took the lifeless body of Jesus down from the tree, they shrouded it, embalmed it, and placed it in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The Romans put a, row, a stone in front of it. Pilate, with his signet row, uh, finger ring, he, he sealed it shut, not to be opened by anybody. But how many of you know that God chose to bypass Pilate's 
authority. And God said, I want it open because I want Joe and, Jay, uh, uh, Joe and Shane and Pastor Brown and Dr. Brassfield to be able to go to that tomb and to be able to look inside it and to see the stone-cold marble and find out that there's no body there, right? And so God said, I'm going to send an angel. And God sent an angel down and he rolled the stone away, right? Are y'all with me? It's called Resurrection Sunday. And Mary and a group of women came and they were wanting to correct what the men had done. You say, what do you mean? The men had involved this body, but how many of you know the women folk that knew that the men couldn't do it right? Right? And so they said, we got to go undo what they did and do it correctly. And so they were there early. They didn't know who was going to roll the stone away. And they said, who's going to roll the stone away? We can't do it. And the soldiers probably won't do it. But how many know God said, I'm going to do it? And God sent an angel. And when they arrived there in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, the Bible says the angel was just chilling. He was sitting on the stone waiting for them to get there. And, but here's what I want you to know, that the man Jesus Christ that they laid in the tomb did not need the angel to roll the stone back to let him out. Because when the Spirit of the living God entered into the tomb and raised his lifeless body, it changed him into a different man than the man they put on the tree. His body was changed. See, today you can't put a nail in his hand and pierce blood because there's no blood in him. Because he gave every drop of it on a hillside called Calvary. Every drop of it. And that's why Paul said this, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. You say, but wait a minute. Now listen very carefully. I'm trying to help somebody here today. Remember, I'm the pastor that's saying you can know the scriptures. I'm not the pastor that's taking you through the elementary route. I want you to know because when you get this inside you, these are truths that the world can't take out of your heart. And so Jesus, when he was resurrected, where did he first appear? He said, first appeared to the women, and he said, tell my disciples I'm going to Galilee. Get there, and I'll meet them there. So they ran. They told the men. The men left Jerusalem, and they went to Galilee, and they're just waiting in the room, and they're talking, and nobody knocked on the door. Nobody had to open and swing the door wide, but suddenly there he was. He, uh, are y'all out there? I'm talking about Jesus today. He just appeared, and when they, I'm talking, we think that they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, but it might have happened right there in that room for the first time, because that was a Shatakaya Mosia moment right there. And so they, the Bible says plainly, Luke's gospel, they were affrightened, and they thought it was a spirit. And they thought that in their sorrow and in their pain that they were having kind of visions and they thought maybe we're just envisioning this or maybe it's a spirit. And remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, he said, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. He said, do you have anything to eat? Handle me and see. Come over here and touch me. Why does Paul say flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus said, I've got flesh and bone. It goes back to the mystery of the life that's in the blood in Leviticus chapter 17. In the book of Leviticus, God himself said, In the flesh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. In this life, from the time of Adam until the return of Christ, we all have to have blood to live. Right? Without blood, you'll not live. Right? But in the world to come, we don't need blood to pump out of our heart. Right? To pump through our heart, to circulate through our body, to give our flesh life. But in the world to come, you know what we've got? We've got the power of the Spirit. The life power of the Spirit. That's why we say it with the Apostle. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. That same, I've got the earnest of it. I don't have the full measure of it. I still get tired. I still am fatigued. I know that I can still die. But there's going to come a time. There's going to come a moment when that trumpet sounds. And when that trumpet sounds, there's going to be a change in my life. Right? And I'm going to be going from corruptible to incorruption, from dishonor to honor, from mortal to immortality. Man, that's the hope of the gospel right there. That's the hope. And that's why Paul said, I want you to know these things, and let's close this off today. I said to myself, I said when I was trying to, I was, can I let you under the preacher's world a little bit? I'm trying to work out my sermon, and I thought, you know, I wanted this real spectacular message where I was kind of doing, following the, uh, Peter and James and John, or I was there, you know, with Mary, Matt, and that just wasn't in my heart. And then I thought to myself, how can I get this one wrong? 
I've gone home before from preaching on Sunday and said, man, I just, that was terrible. How did I do that? But then I thought to myself, how can I, I can't get this one wrong. Right? I, Paul told us in his commentary, Paul told us in his commentary about the power of his resurrection. And it's to give you hope. Let's read this in closing, these last eight verses. He said, behold, I show you a mystery. Not everybody's going to be asleep. Not everybody's going to have died. It may not be your funeral. We may have not had your funeral. How many know the Lord can come before your funeral? Right? But we shall all be, read it with me, it's only eight verses. We shall be what? Come on now, you're going to all be changed. In a moment, how happened, how's it going to end? In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, you believe that today? And the dead shall be what? Raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. And we will sing, O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold that last verse for a second. Thanks be unto God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. The reality is, is that, church family, there's a resurrection coming for all who believe in Christ Jesus. There's a general resurrection where whether you believe or not, you're going to be raised from the dead. But there's a hope for all of us who have our faith in Christ. That we're going to be changed. And we're going to receive a body. And how many of you know that in that time we're going to know even as we're known? And we sing it and we stand and we shout and rejoice and all this. And we sing songs about happy reunion days. But you know what? You say, Pastor, I'm foolish enough to believe that. I believe that the loved ones that I had in my life that had genuine and authentic faith in Christ, that in the resurrection, I'm going to know them. And they're going to know me. You believe that, Dr. Russell? You've got a father and a brother there, don't you? And one day you're going to know them face to face in the presence of a living God. Come on, somebody, church family. We were worshiping a moment ago. And we were singing the last song, Shane. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. When he came out of that grave, I came out too, right? And all of a sudden as I was worshiping, and I'm going to get real personal in here. This is one of those things I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm going to ask for forgiveness later. And I was worshiping when I heard a booming voice to my right, just rejoicing in the hope of his resurrection. And I did what we're not supposed to do. I looked around to see who that was worshiping so freely and with such passion and such zeal and hope for the power of his resurrection. And I saw my dear brother Earl Moore right to my right. And we were there and we went through the valley of the shadow of death with him. And if you've been through a situation like that and you buried a loved one like he and Sister Rachel and their family put Mariah in the grave. But let me tell you, they've got hope. They've got hope. And they have a confidence. And they have a knowledge in that right, Rachel. They have a belief that one day... A trumpet's going to sound, and the dead are going to be raised, and they're going to look eye to eye with the one that they said goodbye to last year and because of the power and the hope of the resurrection. And that's why Paul said, just remember, that's why he said, comfort and encourage one another with these words in an earlier text. Church family, there's death on this side of eternity, but we worship the one that's overcome the grave. Thanks be unto God. Come on, church family. Thanks be unto God. They'll join me on the platform if you would. Maybe Shane, the worship team, perhaps, I don't know. Maybe we'll sing that song one more time and close it. Because on Easter, maybe we ought to go out with a little step in our, right, a little dance in our step here today. Shane, so we might come back in a moment. But let's read this last verse because I'm going to give an invitation here today. Therefore, my beloved brethren, I'm speaking to you as a pastor. Here's my heart to yours. I close this book. So I close the text. Now, you're going to be talking to family members here later today. And they're going to ask, well, what did your pastor preach on? What did your pastor preach on? Well, how long was their text? He said, our pastor read 58 verses. 
say he didn't preach very long. But he gave you a commentary that you won't ever forget. I want you to know what I know. I don't know a lot, but I know some. I've got two of my kids here and, 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 and two other adopted kids with me here today. And I want them to know what I know. I want them to have the faith that I have. As a pastor, we're often like the EMT. We're with family members at the most difficult times. We're there. We're asked to come. It's hard. You don't think it is? It's difficult. I've, I've preached sermons for folks that have been uh, 95 years old. 90 plus, well, I mean, I'm talking ancient of days. But I've also, yeah, I've also stood and I've looked into the grieving faces of mothers and fathers when we had a casket the size of a lunchbox or something that you would roast a ham in. I'm just being honest. The casket was this large because they lost an infant child. And I'm telling you, there's pain on this side of eternity. And you can feel devastated at times. And you can feel like it's all lost, all gone, until you're reminded of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He wasn't just raised for himself. He was raised for us. For us, that we could have hope in this life. And then Paul said, read these words. With, this is, then I, it's almost like he went from apostolic to pastoral. The apostolic is this divine revelation, this depth of Scripture. And I, I just shared what little bit I knew about it. You can get a lot more off of a comment, out of a commentary. But he said in verse 15, but the, the, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable. Don't let anything take you away from what you know and believe about this doctrine. Did you hear that? How many know that's very important in the culture in which we live? When people are trying to, I mean, to mock our faith. Oh, you really believe in this? This man died and was raised again. Yeah, I really believe that. I believe that with all my heart, and I believe I'm going to die and be raised again. He said, that, he said, notice this, and abounding in the work of the Lord. Last part, you got to catch this. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank God for Jesus Christ today, church family. Thank God for the promise of eternal life. What a peace it gives us. I didn't get to weave in the other passage, but see, pastors have to do things that you don't do. We, we, ha we have to search passages of scriptures that we can find so that we might say a word of encouragement to someone whose heart has just been wrenched in two by the loss of a loved one traumatized their mind is not even you know able to 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 think clearly because of the pain and the suffering and we search you you probably don't search those passages but we search those passages because we want to if we can give you anything that can give you encouragement i think i see that when paul talks about this subject i didn't take you to the other passage but in first thessalonians 4 you read about it on your own but Paul, when he concluded that passage, he said, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. I can't take away someone's loss. I can't raise their loved one from the dead. But what I can do is if I can look them in the eye and I can say, We know that sister so-and-so had faith in Christ. And she's waiting in the presence of God. Her spirit is in his presence. But there's going to be a resurrection one day when the trumpet sounds. Her spirit will rejoin her body like Jesus' body was resurrected. And then we'll be able to dwell in the eternal kingdom of God and serve him. That's what I can give them. That's what I can give you. That's what I want for all of you. It's a comfort. It's a peace. It's a hope. It takes away all despair, doesn't it? I'm not saying it takes away all hurt, because death hurts. I'm not saying it takes away all sting. The sting of death will be present with us until the last enemy to be defeated is death. But I can give you hope and comfort here today. So our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. I want you to be as honest with me as you can today. 
We're going to sing a song in closing. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord as we leave this building. But before we do that, I feel compelled in my heart to give you an opportunity today to make a profession of faith in Christ Jesus, to put your faith, to put your hope in the Lord Jesus. Remember this, as I began this sermon, however many minutes ago, we started in those first three verses. It was the gospel. It was the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Paul said, I delivered it to you, and you believed it. Do you believe it today? Do you believe that Jesus died on the tree for you? Do you believe that your sins, your sin debt was taken away at the tree? And you can have eternal life dwelling inside of you right now. If you don't, if you don't have that comfort that that gives, that that knowledge gives, then you can have that today. Christians, I'm going to ask you to do something for me right now. I'm going to ask you to pray like you've never prayed before, just under your breath, right there. Heads bowed, we're being reverent in the presence of God. There could be someone here today say, Pastor, is it really about making a decision? It is about making a decision to believe what's already been presented to you. I presented Christ crucified to you to start this message. I presented him as the sin debt. I presented him as the Lamb of God to take away your sin. But his blood, as powerful as it is, if you don't believe, then it won't work effectual on your behalf. You must believe. Paul said it, I delivered it to you, and you believed. So if you're here today, I'm speaking to you, Christians, are you praying that there might be someone, it might be one person, under the sound of my voice today that says, Pastor, I want to trust in the Lord as my Lord and personal Savior. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to turn my faith to Him. Maybe you've got that fear of death. If you don't know Christ, you need that fear of death. I'm going to ask you, I want to ask you to do something with me today. I'm going to be bold, as bold as I can. I'm going to be respectful to you, to where you're at. But it's going to take a lot of courage. It doesn't take much courage on my part. It's easy on my part. It takes courage on your part. But if you want to make a profession of faith in Christ, and you want me to pray with you today, right where you're at, you've got to at least do one thing for me. You've got to slip your hand up. Look this way at me. Uh, church family's heads are bowed, and I'm not doing that because I'm trying to not, I'm just doing that to, so that you feel as most comfortable as you can in this moment of time of just saying, Pastor, I need the Lord. I want to turn my life to Jesus. And I want to ask you to raise your hand if there be anyone under the sound of my voice today, anyone, make eye contact with me here today. If there's anyone, I'm going to wait on you for just a second. I'm going to wait on you. Christians, are y'all praying for just a moment? Let's believe it. Thank you today. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else today? Anybody else today that just said, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life today? Anyone? Let's pray together on this very day of all days. One person has raised their hand, but perhaps someone else is here today. Maybe I missed a hand. I want to pray this prayer. You say, Pastor, is it that simple? It is that simple on the initial believing conversion. It's not about coming to the front. It's not about me praying with you. It's about you believing in your heart. So now if you raised your hand, let me give you the gospel, the simple gospel. Believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him with your mouth. Ask for the forgiveness of sins and ask the Lord to come into your heart. And believe, you believe, the Bible says God will dwell in your heart by faith, meaning his spirit will come in to your heart and life. So pray this prayer with me. It's very simple. Father, I come to you today, and I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the tree. Are y'all praying that with me today? Are you praying that? Center friend, are you praying that with me today? I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent of all my sins, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I pray, Lord God, that I will trust you with all of my life, and I will follow you. You are my Lord. I believe in you with all of my heart today. I believe in the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul preached. 
So today, Father, I pray for you right now. This is my closing prayer. God of heaven today, in the name of Jesus, for the people that have listened to me preach today and been so gracious to give me their time. They brought their family. They were not embarrassed. They brought their family to come in here and hear Pastor Bound preach. And God, I have delivered unto them, like Paul, that which I received. I've given them, Father God, the revelation that Paul gave us, the commentary on the resurrection. And I pray that it's given them great courage and great comfort, Father God, and great hope in the resurrection. Lord, the person that raised their hand, I pray, I thank you, God, for, Father, their sins that were as scarlet, they're now white as snow, God. And they're added to God's eternal kingdom, God. And now they too possess the hope that we have, the hope of the resurrection. And I thank you for it today. Bless the people. And God, before we leave this building, one final time, God, we want to sing a song of praise, of celebration, exaltation to the Lord who died, was buried, and is raised again in Jesus' name. Won't you all stand up? Won't you worship God with us today and thank you for being in the Lord's house today.